I encourage you to look with me in your copy of the Word of God to the Gospel according to John, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, and, and we'll be using that as our text and our scripture reading this morning. Heard the story one time, long, long time ago. Uh, Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd broke into a liquor joint. Uh, it was very, very late at night, and they were fumbling their way through there. And finally, Daffy reached up, and he felt a bottle, and he felt how it was made and all of this. And in the darkness, he, he said to Elmer, he said, is this whiskey? And Elmer Fudd said, yeah, it's whiskey, but it's not as whiskey as Wob in a bank. <laughs> There's a lot of whiskey things in life. Driving your car on an automobile, facing traffic, five o'clock in the afternoon on Friday afternoon when everybody's going home, that's whiskey. Getting mixed up in drugs, that's whiskey. Playing with guns and firearms, seems like that's a popular sport now. You make me mad, we'll just shoot everybody. That's whiskey. The whiskiest thing in all of the world is to live your life to yourself and miss out on who Jesus is. If you miss that, then you've taken some very dangerous risk in your life as a Christian of living an unfulfilled life or as an unbeliever in the Lord Jesus Christ, spending eternity separated from him in a lake of fire. Throughout the Gospel of John, there has been a revelation of who Jesus is with the great I am statements that have been made. I am the bread. I am the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When people are stumbling, asking, how in the world do we get to heaven? Jesus answered it very simply with, I am the way. Not being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian, not being good, not by giving money to an institution. Jesus said, I am the way that you get to heaven. And all of the things that Jesus did... The purpose was that Jesus did not want you to miss who he was and how he can impact your life and how he can impact the community as well. In John chapter 15, he speaks about this when he talks about that last I am statement in John's gospel where he says, if you will stand with me, I'll read it. You can follow along. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Father, thank you for the preciousness of your word today. Father, there may be those today that are wondering who Jesus really is. Lord, they're not attached to you. They're not in you. Lord, they are lost as a ball in high weeds when it comes to spiritual things. Lord, bless them today that salvation may come to them, to their families, to their friends. And Lord, for those who are Christians, that we might understand that there is a purpose in abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if you'll help us today to understand these things, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. When Jesus, the great I am, was walking on the face of this earth, that he wanted every person to know who he was by his words, by his works, by his mannerisms, by the things that motivated him. Even his movements wanted people to understand, to get who Jesus really was. And so he came up with these I am statements that are found in the gospel according to John. So who is Jesus according to his own testimony? Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He said in this story, he said, I am a true vine. By saying that, Jesus was giving us a word picture. Jesus is not actually a vine. You understand that Jesus is speaking allegorically. An allegory is a literary device. It is a narrative or a visual representation that has a moral and a spiritual purpose. Jesus is trying to use this in order that people are down low and, and could be fed with the elementary truths of who Jesus was. They are doing this because Jesus is talking about grapevines. The setting of the story of Jesus giving this is on the night that he was betrayed. He has been in the upper room. He has been eating the Passover. He has instituted the Lord's Supper. He has done the foot washing. They have sung a hymn. They've taken up a collection. And they are going out the door. They are headed across the Kidron Valley to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray. And then shortly after, he is going to be taken captives and taken to the high priest. On his way, Jesus is passing through a vineyard grape fields. It's in the middle of the night, but yet they can make out the images of this. And so Jesus is going to use the image of this in order to describe to his disciples who he really is and what he is all about. Using a spiritual or agricultural backdrop, he is going to unveil the mystery of the Messiah. And he's going to do that so his disciples in just a few hours are going to be scattered everywhere and later they're going to be left to explain the gospel to the whole world. He wants them to understand and you and I to understand all you are, all you ever hope to be, all you ever will be depends 
on the fact of who you are in your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he himself is the divine source. He is the divine energy of life. When we speak today, sometimes they ask us to do this or ask what you were doing. You say, well, I got this. What Jesus is teaching is trying to get people away from their self-sufficiency and understand that, no, you don't have everything. I have this. I am the source. I am the way that you, you gain light. Dr. Luke, when he's writing the book of Acts, says in Acts 17, 28, he says, it is in him, by him, and for him that we live and that we move and that we have our being. Everything is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus has painted this word picture so that people can understand out of a series of agricultural sayings that they will get. Jesus believed in feeding sheep and not giraffes, and so he just got it down where everybody could understand it. He is a word picture. But also, he mentioned in there that there was a worst picture. The worst picture is Israel itself. Jesus, as so often he speaks, is working in this passage with pictures and ideas that were a part of the religious heritage in which Jesus and the Jewish nation were. Repeatedly over and over again in the Old Testament, it made reference to Israel being the vine. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Also in the book of Jeremiah, it says, I planted you a choice vine. Ezekiel 15 likens Israel to a vine in Ezekiel 15 and 19. We find out in, in the book of Hosea, it says that Israel is a luxuriant vine. And the psalmist is singing, saying, did thou bring a vine out of Egypt? All of these references are, are to Egypt. Israel, and what he wanted people to know is, is that them being the symbol of the nation of Israel, having a vine stamped on their coins, having a vine as a picture there in, in the great temple, and, and where great people counted it an honor to, to give their gold so that they could have it implanted as a vine up there on the doorway into the temple, or even to buy just a little small grape that they could put on the vine. Jesus wanted people to understand, no, Israel is not the true vine. Israel is going to forsake the way of the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately crucify him. He is going to say that Israel doesn't have what it takes. You understand that in Jewish imagery, Jesus is trying to take away from them what they had learned previously about their nation and say, I am the true vine. When those people put that on the temple, they were putting the name of Jesus up there. They were putting the picture of Jesus that is up there because he is the true vine. And being so, Jesus says in our relationship to him, he told us who we were. He told us that if he is the true vine, then we are the branches that come out from that true vine. The fulfillment of Christian living is to know with certainty who Jesus is, but to know also who he said we were. We are a branch, an offshoot properly attached to the vine. 
And being a branch, there is a couple of things that Jesus wanted us to understand. First of all, he wanted us to understand that this is a place of honor. Being a branch that is connected into the vine of the Lord Jesus is inspiring and it's enriching. It is an uplifting thing. It speaks of our place, our position as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not just a branch, but you are the branch of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are engrafted and attached and identified as being plugged in to the Lord Jesus Christ. There were times in the days of the Lord Jesus and the writings of the New Testament that those people that wrote says, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think about slavery. And when we think about slavery, we thought, think that many times this is a derogative identity that Jesus is trying to put to us. But you understand that slaves actually would get together with other slaves to brag upon who they were slaves to. Some would say, I am a slave to Caesar. I'm one of Caesar's slaves. Roman slaves. Others would say, well, I was uh, back long ago and I was a slave to, to this. The Bible says that, that, that being a slave in that particular day had its honors to say that, hey, listen, Caesar is my master. We have a greater honor in saying that Jesus is the Lord and master of our life because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who has bought us. He is the one who has paid the ransom for us. He is the one that has saved us. He is the one that has given himself for us. And so we look at, at to see that we have a place of honor being attached to the true vine. But it's also not just a place of honor. It's a place of humility. That somewhere in our thinking, it is worthy to be reminded that we are the vine. Excuse me, we are the branch and that we are not the vine. You understand that, that everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we owe comes out of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is his grace and his grace alone that we are attached to him and that we are a part of him. But we are not him. Of the Greyhound bus advertisement, they used to say, it's such a comfort to take the bus and leave the driving to us. Well, that's the way it is with being a, a branch of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that there are some positions that go with that, some must-bes that are attached to the concept of branch life humility. And so I want to show you that one, show you how a branch must respond to the fact that he is attached to Jesus. First of all, we understand that there is a must-be we must be plugged in to the Lord Jesus Christ. Being plugged in is where we find the very source of life itself. All the nourishment, all the growth, all the food, all the water is not generated by a branch. It is generated by the vine and it is given to us. Jesus says in verse number five of the text that we read today, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's sobering. That's awakening. 
when we try to think that we are self-sufficient in all of our stuff that we do, how we handle it, and how we can say, I've got this, God says, in the person of the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from him, we can do nothing. That means that Jesus said that if we want life to be useful, if we want life to be meaningful, you must understand that by ourselves that we are impotent, we are powerless to do that. We are destined to failure apart from him without being plugged in him. Jesus said you can do nothing, but he carried that just a little further in order that he can make friends and influence people. He said you are nothing. Now, if you want something that will bring you to the reality of who you are, that without being attached to Jesus Christ, you are useless and worthless, it's the life of a person who is living apart from from being plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ. If that branch is detached, if it's cut off, if it's not plugged in, Jesus said it's useless and it's worthless. It is unfit for good and it is gathered up and it is thrown into the fire. Why? Because it has absolutely no purpose in being. The vine supplies everything it needs and the branch is weak and useless and it is good either for bearing fruit or for burning. And and the Bible says it's not useful for building at all. Now, I come from a family that, that, that had vines and had branches, and I understand that concept, and we need to understand that if that branch is not attached to the vine, it just withers and it dies, and it has no purpose at all other than the fact that people are going to come up and they're going to throw it into the fire, and it is going to be burned. Jesus said that a person must abide in him. Now, that's an imperative. That's a statement that Jesus made. He doesn't say that, that, that if you'd like to be or you could be or you should be and all of that. He said, you must abide in me. If a branch does not abide, then life is not worth the living. But if you are abiding in him, the Bible says life worth living is a life that is plugged into him. Jesus gives a story about a man in his life. He's a rich fool. He's an old guy. He's very industrious. He's a good farmer. He has, he has planted and he has reaped a harvest so big that he says, I'm going to take and pull down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to say to myself, you can take your ease. You can eat and drink and be merry and, and, and you can just enjoy retirement there on the farm. And Jesus comes and and talks to this fellow and he addresses him and says, Oh fool, thou fool. What is he talking about when he calls a person a fool? Does he say that a person just doesn't know? That's being ignorant. There's a lot of things that I don't know. I've never been taught. Doesn't mean that I can't learn. I've just never studied them. And secondly, it's not talking about a person who is stupid. A stupid person is a person who is in a stupor that doesn't have the mental capacity to learn. He's handicapped mentally. He's talking about a fool and he uses the word moron. 
He said, you're just a moron. Who's a moron? A moron is a person that knows what to do and doesn't do it. A person that knows that he's sick and he doesn't go to the doctor knowing that the doctor has drugs and medicine that can help him. He's just a fool. While we can know that, that, that doing wrong things and then doing them anyway is just not very smart. There is a fire that burns. Oh, I know that, but I'm going to stick my hand in there and I'm going to get burned anyway. That's just being what Jesus called this man a fool. Why is he a fool? Why? Because Jesus told him, he said, you are rich in the things of this world and you're not rich toward God. He said, you have all these things and tonight your soul is going to be required of you and who will inherit or who will have all of these things that you've worked so hard for? He said, Mr. said, you've climbed the ladder of success and your ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall because life does not consist in the abundance of things a man possesses. And he called him a fool. We've seen the bumper stickers. He who dies with the most toys win. Win what? If you die without Jesus, all you've won is an eternity separated from him in a lake of fire in a place the Bible calls hell. That's where you will spend an eternity. And Jesus looked at this man and said, Mr., you're just a moron. You, you know that life doesn't consist in the things you possess. Life consists in who you're plugged into, who you belong to, who you abide in. And Jesus said that, first of all, you must be plugged in. Secondly, he said you must be pruned. That pruning comes from a word that we recognize. It's kathario in the Greek, but it means to cauterize. It means to cleanse or, 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 or to cut out in this particular text. It means to cultivate, to, to tend, or, or to cut back the growth of a plant in order that it might grow healthier and that it might produce more fruit. Pruning is in a believer's life is cutting away everything that is not conducive to being a good person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, it's cutting away those things that keep you from being a good disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the cutting of those things away that keeps your life pure. It is the cutting away of those things so that, that you can be abundant in your life toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Years and years ago, my, my father was a fellow that spent his early retirement fishing. When he got to where he couldn't fish by himself, he thought he would put Ernest and Julio Gallo out of business. They're winemakers in California, big company. My daddy started planting grape vines. He started planting muscadine vines, and uh, he made wonderful wine. So people said, I never tasted of it. I didn't want to taste of it. But people said it was good stuff. My daddy never air-conditioned the house, but he air-conditioned the wine room. That's how he got into it. He, and as my dad got older, he realized that every wintertime he had to cut off all of those vines that, that were unnecessary, all those branches that were unnecessary. After he got older and couldn't do that, he had a favorite son that he used to call. 
and asked him to come over and do that. And, and, and I did that. I knew about what you're doing. See, you're pruning and taking away those things so that things could be better and so that they can be the best. In my life, I'm a testament to the pruning that God can do. I was saved on November the 10th of 1968, just about a quarter to eight o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And the moment that I got saved, I realized there were some things in my life that were not conducive to, to being a good Christian. I, I quit gambling at card games or gambling on shooting pool. I gave up drinking, and I never was bad to do that anyway. I, I, I had to give up bad or, or, or vulgar language. I was saved three days after I got home from the military conflict of Vietnam. And I talked like a military guy. Now, some of you may not know what that is, but they used a lot of four-letter words when they talked. Some of them are so, so bad that they'll scorch your ears. And after I got saved, when people would ask me a question, I had to sit there and pause just for a minute to see if I could formulate the answer without putting four-letter words in there. I knew that was wrong. God convicted me, and God took me away from those things. He pruned my life. They were gone, but the things that stayed was my love for cigarettes and my love for coffee. I thought the best thing in the world was to get up on a nice crisp fall morning, go sit in the boat, and smoke a cigarette and drink coffee. And if I got around to it, I would do some fishing. You understand that I, I love cigarettes. When I got saved, I smoked almost three packs of cigarettes a day. I was hooked. I had a smoker's cough. And after I would get through coughing so bad, I would light up a cigarette to make sure my lungs were still working. I was a chain smoker. I smoked one right after the other. I would put one down and I would lift up another one and put it in my mouth and light it off that same cigarette. In January of 1969, God convicted me and convinced me that that was not conducive for a testimony that I wanted to bear for Jesus and needed to bear for Jesus, where that if God could save me from a burning hell, he could save me from a burning cigarette. And I gave them up. I had heard testimonies of how people said, oh, God just took the taste away from me. A year after I gave them up, I was driving my 65 green Volkswagen on the debit. The anniversary uh, of my being quit for a year, and I prayed, and I said, God, if you don't help me get through this day without a cigarette, I'm going to buy me a pack of Winston's, and I'm going to smoke all 20 of them at the same time. <laughs> but God saved me and convicted me and cut those out of my life. He cut coffee out of my life. And I exchanged that for Mountain Dews. I drink about three Mountain Dews every morning just to get my motor cranked so I could thread a sewing machine and it running. And then my heart trouble caused that to be pruned out of my life because every time I drunk caffeine, I wound up in the emergency room with my heart out of rhythm. And that left me. I exchanged that for Sprite that didn't have any caffeine in it. I drank about four or five of those a day, and I found out that I was beginning to look like I was a female that was about to give birth. <laughs> and so I looked, and on that 12-ounce can, there was 140 calories in that. Multiplying that time four or five a day gave me about 600 calories from nothing but sweet water. 
Sugar water was all it was. And so I found out something that, that was non-caffeine. I found something that was non-fattening, and I called it water. And, and that has been my, my use of drinks for, for, from then on. I'm pruned. And these were along with many other things that God has taken away in my life, and time does not allow me to talk about them, made me healthier and, and more productive as a full-time plugged-in believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God may be doing some pruning on you today, some things that is going on in your life so that you can be closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. He prunes in order that you can be productive. You understand that there is a, a, a sense in, in which we need to make a difference in our walk and our work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and God plans that by plugging us into him. It's not something we do, but something that God does through us when we're attached to him. It is described as Jesus being fruitful or bearing fruit. I have a good friend, Terry Lewis, over here that grew up on a farm as well. Most of his pruning was in the peach orchard. And they did that. Why? They did that because the whole idea of branches is to bear fruit. It's not there because it's just eye candy for, for a garden or for a vineyard. The more branches you have, then the less fruit that you're going to have. So you just cut those branches back and, and you get rid of them. Branches are not eye candy to be gazed upon for their beauty, but they're utilitarian. That's through which you can produce fruit. It does not bear fruit. The Bible says he just takes it away and he gathers it up and he throws that into the fire. The end result of a branch not abiding in Christ is it, so catastrophic. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's no way that you are plugged in and there's no way that you can bear fruit for him. And you're just a useless, worthless branch in, in, in the vineyard of God. And the unpleasant reality is that if you are not a part of the family of God through Jesus Christ the Lord, then you're, you're, you're just going to be bundled up in, in the day of judgment and you're going to be gone to the fire, to the lake of fire. And Jesus used another illustration when he talked about a fig tree and he went to get some figs off of it and it didn't have any. And the Bible says Jesus cursed it and the next day it was dead. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin if we don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So he talked about fruit bearing and then he talked about being disciples of the Christ. He said by this, bearing fruit, the Father is glorified that we bear much fruit so that we'll be termed as his disciples, glorifying the Father, glorifying Jesus Christ means that there are to be a full-time, totally surrendered, abiding in the vine person who will be identified with the graphic illustration of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, apart from being plugged in, Jesus said that you are nothing and you can be nothing, but when you're plugged into him, you will glorify the Father in bearing fruit. And there is one more aspect that Jesus gives, and this aspect of an abiding branch is that you must be prayerful. 
He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's a great blessing that God has for anybody. He says, listen, if you are abiding in him, if you are bearing fruit for him, if you are living at the foot of the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ, if my words abide in you, just ask what you want and it will be done for you. There is a parallel statement in the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, 4, 37, 4, where it said, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. People read that and said, I'm in the Lord, and I desire a new car. I'm in the Lord, and I desire a new sewing machine. I'm in the Lord, and I desire a new house. This is not what the statement says. It says that Jesus, God, will give you the desires of your heart. That word gives you means to create. God will create in you the desires of his heart. If you're plugged into the Lord Jesus, the desire of your heart is to be a person like the Lord Jesus Christ, the spitting image of him, and, and that what you want will be exactly what God wants for you, and that will be what you're praying for. God will create in you desires of your heart, and those desires will be to do spiritual things, to live like, to walk like, to talk like, a Christian that we ought to be. So we find out that there is a truth that Jesus is trying to get across. He tried to get it across by saying he was bread and if you're hungry, you can eat. He tried to get it across by saying if, if, if you need the light of the world to, to enlighten your life, get rid of the darkness in your life. Jesus is him. Jesus said, I am the door. If any man would walk through the door, he could go out, in and out and he would be saved. He said that he was a good shepherd and the good shepherd was going to give his life for you. He's going to give his life for the sheep. He said that I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth in me and believeth shall never die. And then when there was a discussion as Jesus talked about heaven and the mansions that are there, one of the disciples spoke up and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said for those that seeking to go to heaven, and most people want to do that, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not letting you into heaven because you do good works or because you're a Baptist or because you're a preacher or because you're this. You're there because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus because he's the way, he's the road and all those other roads lead to death and destruction. So what is Jesus trying to say to us? He's trying to say don't, don't miss Jesus and the part that he plays in your life as believers in Christ Jesus or unbelievers today, he can play a part in your life and show you that you need to be plugged into him. He says the father is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of all the things that we need. He's, he, he's the one that prunes and he's the one that fertilizes and he's the one that gathers. He said that Jesus is the true vine. And all that we have, all that we hope to be depends upon him. We have to be plugged into him. And we are the branches. We're the fruit bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ that reveals who he is and the fact that we're his disciples or his learners. How do you take these truths? You, today, if you're not abiding in Christ, if you've never trusted him as your personal savior, you need to get plugged into him. You need to 
abide in the Lord Jesus. You do that by asking him to be your savior. On November the 10th of 1968, I prayed three words. Lord, save me. That's all I knew. Didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. Didn't know Bible verses. I just knew that I was lost and that Jesus would save me. So I asked him to do that. That may be your prayer today. You're not plugged into Jesus. You're not saved. You may be plugged into the church. You may be plugged into this or plugged into that. But you're not plugged into Jesus. You can do that today by asking him. In just a few moments, we'll give an invitation, give you an opportunity to come and, and to have somebody pray with you as you trust Christ as your Savior. But if you're old enough and man enough or woman enough to do it, you can do it right there in your seat, wherever you are. You can say, Lord, save me. Not only do we find that Jesus lets us abide in him with salvation, but he talks about sanctification. That's being cleansed and bearing fruit for him. It may be today that you can say, I used to be one of those abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, producing fruit, but there's some things that have come into my life. Well, today's the day to prune those. Let's just snip those off. Why don't you rededicate your life to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me of this. Forgive me of that. Forgive me. I've been plugged into something else for the last few years or days or weeks or months. Plug me into you and let me bring forth fruit. And then he is saying to those, the final step is service. Depending on how you're plugged in, depending on how you're abiding, determines where you're going to bear fruit, more fruit, or much fruit. The longer and the more sincerely that you are in, in abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ determines how big you are going to be a branch and how many grapes you're going to produce. But God's speaking to you today. Why don't you yield your heart and life to him? While Micah comes and while Ron comes to play the instrument for us today, Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray and ask God's will to be done in our life this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, there may be some here that are lost, that don't abide in you, never been connected to you. And Father, today, Lord, that they can be connected. They can trust you as their Savior. Lord, I pray right now, they just pray in a little simple prayer. Lord, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. Lord, let me be plugged into you. And Lord, that's their heart's desire. Lord, there may be some here that's struggling with sanctification, being holy like Jesus, struggling with some sin, struggling with some habit, struggling with some bondage that needs to leave their life. Lord, and they're asking Jesus, cut this out of my life right today, Lord. Let me have this removed from my life. Take it away from me. And Lord, there may be others that are serving you. And Lord, we praise them because of their faithfulness. Lord, continue to bless them. Let them be plugged in so that they can bear much fruit for you. And glorify the Father by making a visual determination to be a disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us during this invitation. There may be other needs that people have. May they come as God calls. And we'll thank you in your name. Amen.